Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. The Panel. Uh, Favourite part of the show for me this uh, often every morning and it will be I'm sure. Uh, this morning as well with uh, Mark Watson and Guy Havelt as our guests of honour. And uh, Guy Havelt, if I can start with you, please. Uh, the fate of the Silver, Le- Silver Lake deal is set to be announced this afternoon by New Zealand Rugby following the vote. What's your gut feel here? Yeah, morning, team. Uh, my gut feel is that it's going to go ahead. Uh, interesting that previously they needed 75% for support uh, for it to be given the all clear or for it to be ratified and, and, and made official uh, although now that's been changed to 100% so clearly Silver Lake feel like they want to have the entire backing of, of the provincial unions uh, to, to feel comfortable going ahead with this I think that's a good sign um, if, if everyone's for it you know, I think that, that makes it a lot more um, a lot more easier I suppose for everyone to stomach. From a personal point of view um, I think it's a no brainer really uh, in the current climate of the world, but particularly in the current climate of sport, I don't think New Zealand rugby can continue to go the way they are going, um, and they desperately need some financial help in that regard. So uh, a real injection like this, I think, is a real no-brainer for the sport at the moment. So um, I hope and I expect that it will all be given the green light at some stage today. Good morning to Mark Watson. Mark, what's your feel on this? Yeah, look, I agree with Guy Havelt. I mean, we're a small country, aren't we? We just simply don't have scale here. Um, we've got arguably the most powerful all-black brand in the world, or rugby brand in the world, but we need probably greater expertise to be able to leverage it, to be able to bring additional income in. Um, and clearly, I think that arguably probably lies in countries like the United States. Um, we probably could do a little bit more in Europe and around the world. I guess my concern is we need the all-blacks to be performing. And is it a little bit of... Um, you know, to get the All Blacks performing, well, I already think rugby is Dylan rugby is already too top heavy. It's too focused on the All Blacks. And yes, while initially there will be a flow down through to the provincial unions, and you know, I think it's what a million dollars automatically to the uh, fourteen provincial unions, and then half a million dollars each to the other twelve Heartland-based um, unions. In the long term, are we going to continue to see? financial support going to club rugby, going to provincial rugby because you know, I think the model in this country we have moved away from being rugby fans to all black fans. Um, I guess my other concern is 
so much of this money ends up going to the Players Association. Um, you know, there is a lot of money for our players to make overseas in the UK. The argument is, yes, but we want to retain them here. My counter-argument is, well, they've got no value until they've played a decent amount. They've got no real value overseas until they've played a decent amount of rugby here in New Zealand. And so, yeah, my, I just don't like the fact that the Players Association are grabbing such a... Uh, uh, such a sizable cut in all of this when I think there are other parts of rugby which um, I think resource put into them, particularly club rugby and provincial, and particularly the smaller unions. Yeah, and my worry is this, and I can't crystal ball gaze, I'm not very good at it, and I'm not quite sure if, if you guys are at all either, uh, Guy, but I just wonder how the game will look in 10 years, uh, regardless of this injection of, of, uh, of a lot of money. I think that's a fair point, and I think we probably all have that concern, but I think we'd have that concern whether this money was here or not. Um, I think rugby is in a a very precarious position at the moment in this country uh, and in other countries around the world for numerous reasons. Um, I think, um, you know, and I I don't know if if money will will help this at all, but, you know, I think think the way that kids are playing sport is, is changing drastically, and, you know, in 10 to 15 years' time, Rugby might not be the most popular sport in the country anymore. In fact, I suspect it probably won't be. Um, you know, you're looking at sports like basketball these days. Even even things like baseball are, are getting a lot more popularity. I'm not saying that that baseball will take over, but basketball particular particularly a lot more kids are playing basketball uh, and and you know other sports as well that that maybe we hadn't really thought about in the past. So. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm not very good at crystal ball gazing either. If anyone's seen my Twitter account, they'll know that half the time I get things wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think there's a real concern about the future of rugby in this country, and and I hope that something like this helps. But I don't think it's going to be the ultimate silver bullet. I think there's a lot of work for for New Zealand rugby and for rugby in general to do to keep public, to keep the kids, to keep the future interested. How do they get that money um, to work in that favour, then, Mark Watson? How, how, what can they do? I mean, you've got you're you're across a lot of sport, um, you know, and participation at all levels. How do they how do they get kids wanting? And that's that's the crux of it. Colt sides are, are hard to find in rugby clubs. Uh, they, they are they're the future of the club. Colt sides are the future of the club. I know for a fact uh, here in Hawke's Bay, they are a damn t- tough uh, roster to fill these days. How do they get it? going back uh, uh, and turning it around in, in numbers capacity. First thing they do have to address is the whole concussion issue, and I'm not sure there's a silver bullet there. That is a really, really difficult one. Mums are the decision makers in the house when it comes to what kids sport play, and um, yeah, concussion is a really, really big issue. But look, I'll say this again. I think too much emphasis on schoolboy rugby has killed club rugby. Um, you know, club schoolboy rugby is now the stepping stone to higher honours, and the problem with that is a lot of schoolboy teams that are successful are often just really, really big kids who are mature earlier. And unless you're playing some club rugby um, and suddenly size no longer becomes a factor, then I'm not sure that your talent pool is always the best talent pool. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I, I actually, a lot of people will say this is very PC, but I actually quite like what North Harbour Rugby Union have done, and that's actually get rid of rep sides through those teenage years. Because again, kids that make those rep teams are just big kids who mature earlier. I think that a lot of kids get to 16, 17, unless you've got parents in the background who understand how sport operates. Um, I, I think, you know, they think, well, I'm not part of the system, I'm going to give up because the picking order at school is the picking order later in life. And that we all know that is not necessarily the case. 
And so I quite like this whole, you know, if you are going to pick rep teams, pick rep teams that are well, you know, for some of the lighter weight kids so that you still can and put as much emphasis on that because, you know, I think a strength of New Zealand rugby historically is that we've always developed the skill set and then looked to build the player. But the other factor too is we've got to bring enjoyment to the game. It's got to be enjoyable, doesn't it? It's got to have some fun. And also you need, you know, you need heroes. You need the All Blacks to keep winning. But problem is that New Zealand rugby, as I said, we've moved from a model of being, um, you know, moving from against the All Black fans. And now we're starting to see the All Blacks saying, oh, look, we've got 15 tests to get it right before the World Cup. We're then reducing rugby now down to once every four years. And I'm just not sure that is the best way of going about it either. Just quickly on Guy Havelt's point, I know you've got news you've probably got to go to, but I was just talking to John Ackland, rugby league legend. He's teaching at St. Peter's College. He said, look, there's same issues in rugby league, but he said at St. Peter's, if you built 80 basketball courts, you'd fill every single one of them to be a concern for rugby and other sports, such as the popularity of that. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, we, we, we will go to the news now. You're right, Mark, but uh, when we come back, uh, another couple of uh, issues um, uh, around golf and uh, around cricket as well. Uh, but we'll uh, pop across to the newsroom with Aroha as we get ready for part two of the panel. The panel. Yeah, part two of the panel now. We have Guy Havelt and Mark Watson with us this morning. Guy Havelt, let's uh, look at the PGA and uh, more in particular at the LIV circuit about to begin. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden news coming through that Greg Norman has managed to uh, nail down the signature, it seems, of Dustin Johnson. Now that is a big name. That is a huge name. I, I was I was really shocked by this when I first heard it. Uh, I think dating back to either February or January, there was a statement from Dustin Johnson's agent saying that Johnson is committed to the PGA Tour and wouldn't be going to live golf. Well, uh, it's amazing how things change so quickly, isn't it? Uh, the, the, the fascinating thing for me is, um, you know, this guy earns, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars probably across his career, certainly tens of millions a year. Uh, so I just don't really see what the point is in him going. I note a few people on, on Twitter and, and in the media in general saying that, you know, Johnson's never really been interested in, in, in a legacy or in records or anything like that. So I suppose for him, money probably is the big motivator. And if that is the case, then, then fair play to him. Um, but I'm disappointed. I, I liked watching Dustin Johnson play. I, I don't think I'll really give two hoots about live golf. I might watch an event or a round or an hour here and there, but I really don't think this thing's going to take off. And saying that, for for the likes of some of these amateurs who have say, who are saying that they're going over and for for some of the, the journeymen, for want of a better word, on across both the European and, and PGA Tours, for them, this makes complete and utter sense. I mean, they've been plugging away on these two tours for years. Some of them have barely made, in the grand scheme of things, any money. Um, obviously, they fork out for so many expenses and that sort of thing. So at the end of the day, uh, a lot of these guys' take-home money is actually pretty small. So for them, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I'm, I, I was shocked. I'm pretty disappointed uh, that Dustin Johnson is going. Um, I think it's a loss for... For the PGA Tour, I, I dare say that they will crack down pretty hard on this, um, and 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 I applaud them in doing that. Yeah, I do too. Actually, um, not that I begrudge anyone going to make money if you're a professional in what you do, uh, and this seems to be relatively easy money, uh, Mark Watson, for even those guys that finish last, looking like about a hundred thousand or hundred thirty thousand US for finishing in last spot. So it's a given the money side of it. What do you make of it? 
I'm with Guy. I'm all about legacy. I'm all about um, the intangibles. You know, I, I you know, it's like win Wimbledon. Um, you know, win the Masters in golf. Um, you know, and I think if you win all of those, you know, you can grab the money in the short term. I mean, how, how big does your house need to be? How many cars do you need to have? I, I mean, you know, I, I, I sit here. I, I sit here. I'm overlooking Miraway Beach at the moment. Modest sort of house. Okay. and I've got something that maybe Dustin Johnson will never have, and that's enough. You know, and I think that's a decision people need to make. When is enough? I mean, how much money do you need? Uh, I mean, I don't know how about you, uh, Smithy, but I've never lived in. I've really only ever lived in my lounge, the kitchen, my sort of bedroom, and my bathroom. Often, never been into the other bedrooms with the kids and everything else occupied. So I always struggle with that one about just taking the money. And I think later on you regret it. You look at the great sportsmen, even including yourself, um, Smithy. I mean, after your career, your the phone has always rung for you because of what you achieved on the cricket field. You've managed to make a living off the back of what you did as a cricketer and you've become very, very good at it. And I think that's sometimes something that these players need to be reminded of. Is your phone going to ring when you hit 45, when you hit 50, when you are past your best? How are you going to be remembered? Mm. And I think your belief systems in your 20s and 30s is very different to your belief systems in your 50s and 60s. Lily, what I just... Oh, thanks for the thoughts. Well uh, thanks yeah, sorry, if, Guy. If, um, if, if, if Dustin Johnson hadn't been named in this, it would have been a complete and utter failure. I mean, yeah, there are guys like Sergio Garcia, there's Lee Westwood, there's Ian Poulter, but with all due respect to them, they're not going to pull in the crowds, they're not going to pull in the viewers. I don't think people will miss those particular players. And then you look down at, and I think there's Andy Ogletree, who's ranked 1,500th in the world or something, who's, um, you know, one of the guys that they're putting up as a success story. Well, you know, if you don't have Dustin Johnson there, to me, that looks like a, a massive failure. And, um, you know, I, I, I really don't think this is going to take off that wildly. I just wonder, you know, and, and thanks very much too for your kind thoughts there, uh, Mark, but I just wonder too, and this is left field, this is so left field this, it's probably so crazy. Uh, his father-in-law is Wayne Gretzky, the great one. What kind of environment? I mean, you know, we're talking about uh, an all-type pressure-achieving type uh, life that, that Dustin Johnson lives um, I just wonder if there's there's anything in that at all. Well, I won't even ask you for your opinion on that. I just thought of it, actually. But anyway, I will ask you for an opinion on this, guys. Um, tonight, uh, of course, um, it's been a date on the calendar I'm looking forward to. Lord's always is. But when we're involved, when Baz is involved, uh, Mark Watson, um, how do you feel about it? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm a little unnervy. I don't like the fact that IP go and play that. In, and I understand it's going back to the argument we've just had. I... You should be getting yourself in the best state to play test cricket, which is so far removed from T20 cricket. So I'd be a little bit concerned about the likes of Kane Williamson's. We need to rely on, um, you know, for us to win this test series, Conway Williamson and Daryl Mitchell at the moment need to certainly perform. But clearly, look, England, um, you know, they've got no Archer, no Wokes. They bring back Broad, they bring back Anderson. I love Jimmy Anderson. Uh, they've got some questions, though, over Zach Crawley. Um, I think Ollie Pope, Alex Lees. Um, and so, look, I think it's, I actually think it's a fairly balanced series. I would ignore what happened in Australia with England and the Ashes. I think they will be a better side. I think automatically, even just Brendan McCullum here, I think he will just bring that intangible immediately. I think these players will just feel a little bit taller when they do walk out there. I think they feel like they've got the backing of a guy they don't want to let down. So, look, I, if, if I'm a betting man, I'm actually going to go, I'd go in as England as slight favourites in this first test. Mm. Totally agree. Um, I, I really do think they. I know it's odd to say, but I think they're favourites. Um, 
Anderson and Broad, I think, is one of the reasons why. I think they'll fire up Guy Havelt. I completely agree. I was absolutely stunned when they weren't used to their um, to their ultimate in, in, in Australia, and I think that was one of the downfalls. Obviously, the batting wasn't great for England either, but in talking about that batting, I think what they've done with that you know top-to-middle order, uh, obviously their openers are, are very shaky, and I think that's where the Black Caps can, can get on top early. But in saying that, I like what they've done with Ollie Pope at three. Uh, then you go to Joe Root, Johnny Bairstow, and Ben Stokes. So I think that's a pretty good two, three, four, five, six. Uh, and, and one that, that, that could cause the Black Caps bowlers a few problems. And then you look at the Black Caps batting, and I don't know, just without Ross Taylor and, and, and probably now without Henry Nichols, even though Daryl Mitchell looks like he will play in Nichols' place, and I don't think it's a bad swap as such. Um, but I don't know, there's just a little bit of uncertainty for me in, 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 that, in that Black Caps batting at the moment. I think we saw uh, in the home summer here that they were shaky at the best of times and um, were pretty disappointing um, at the worst of times. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with both of you. I think England are suddenly favourites. I'm really excited to see what Brendan McCullum can do with this team and just that combination of McCullum and Stokes, I think, just instantly makes them a more exciting prospect. I know, um, you know, they won't make... Well, they, they probably will make some immediate impact, but I don't think we'll see the full potential of that impact for a wee while yet. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited about that duo, and, and as you say, Smithy, any test match at Lords, particularly when it features New Zealand, uh, bring it on. I think I will be getting minimal sleep over the next few weeks. It's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's something to to wake up for, this, uh, or stay awake for too. Uh, guy, here's an interesting one. We we talk so much about Baz going to coach England, and of course he is now, and uh, the, the fact of a of one of our greats going to coach over there. All of a sudden, we hear through the grapevine, still unconfirmed by New Zealand cricket that an Australian Ben Sawyer assistant coach for the Australian women's cricket team is now the coach of the White Ferns guy and by my reckoning that is the first overseas coach they have had I believe it is I I, I believe you're right and I actually applaud it look um, I have a lot of respect for Jacob Oram but uh, considering how the White Ferns have performed in the last few years and particularly at the World Cup Uh, I think it would have been a a terrible mistake if they had have continued on with the same people that they had throughout that tenure. I think it's a terrible mistake. And and I think, as I said on the panel last week, I I think it's just appalling that that Bob Carter still has such a big say in what happens with that team. So I'm happy that it sounds like someone is coming in from the outside. Ben Sawyer has obviously been with a pretty hefty team in terms of Australia. He's seen how they go about things. I think he'll bring some pretty interesting... Um, ideas and theories and ways of, of playing the game to this team. I think it's a great move. Um, as I say, I, I, I think it would have been a mistake if they hadn't have looked outside the current environment. So happy with that. What I would say is I guess I'm probably disappointed that there aren't any female coaches that, that, that were deemed to be to be up to this because I think we need to start moving in that direction a little bit. Um, I, I think uh, female athletes probably um, probably uh, you know, I just feel like a female, I don't know, in, in this day and age, I just think it's important to have um, women around women's teams. Uh, and I would like to see that depth in terms of women's coaching, um, you know, deepened a little bit in this country. So hopefully they can do that in, in some aspect, uh, whether it's through recent retirees or players who used to play for the White Ferns and actually bring some, some sort of, of some of that aspect into this team going forward.
Yeah, I, I think uh, too, Mark Watson, I, it'll put a full stop on what's been a fairly long and drawn-out process uh, since we were bundled out of the Cricket Women's World Cup. Yeah, look, I mean, you look at the performances in recent times, it hasn't been great. Uh, look, I, I like the Australians. This guy has been very um, successful um, with the women's uh, big bash format over there. I think what he's been in four finals with the Sydney Sixers, 44 years of age. He's um, very well versed in coaching of fast bowlers, which I think was an area probably did us down at the Cricket World Cup. But look, you know, the emphasis now still needs to go back on the players. Um, you know, sometimes I think we place too much emphasis on the coaches and there's not enough accountability on the players. Um, we've got rid of so-called some of the, what they perceive to be maybe players that are past their use by date. No excuses now. Uh, no different than, say, um, with the Black Ferns and women's rugby. Let's just get on with it. Let's just start performing. Uh, just in regards to what Guy said around women's coaches, I agree, but manufacture that process, that's going to take some time to bring more women cricket coaches through, and I think there's always a danger when you get caught up a little bit in identity politics. When our women's coaches start to come through, absolutely, um, but at the moment I just believe in whoever the best coach should be appointed, whether that be male or female. Good on you. Mark Watson and uh, Guy Havel have been on the panel this morning. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time and your opinions. Uh, very, very highly valued. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.